0: Good morning and welcome to our adult Bible class on this first Sunday of June, June 6, 2021. Welcome to each one, those of you here in the auditorium, as well as those of you who may be listening or watching at home or some other place. Turn to Philippians chapter 4, Philippians chapter 4. While you're turning there, let me remind you that two weeks from today is Father's Day. So dads, be sure that you... You're working on your family to get them here to the service for that day. That'll be a great day. And so it's only two weeks off, so appreciate that. Today we have designated the at least the morning service as Graduate Recognition Sunday. So at 11 o'clock, Pastor Rice will be addressing that and talking about that, and we'll be recognizing the graduates. Now, I'm looking through the crowd. I think... Mm, all of us, have been through high school and or graduated, so I don't want to talk about that, but I do want to ask you a question today for you to think about. Do you want to graduate? And I'll explain that as we go along. We'll be reading here in just a moment. And so let's read Philippians chapter 4, just the first eight verses. Philippians chapter 4, verses 1 through Eight. And this is, of course, the Apostle Paul writing to the church <clears throat> at Philippi, which was a church, a group of people, and it's preserved in the Bible for us even today. Philippians 4. Therefore, my brethren, dearly beloved and long for my joy and crown. <clears throat> so stand fast in the Lord, my dearly beloved. I beseech Iodias. And beseech Sintek, that they be of the same mind in the Lord. And I entreat thee also, true yoke fellow. Help those women which labored with me in the gospel. With Clement also, and with other my fellow laborers, whose names are in the book of life. Rejoice in the Lord always. And again I say, rejoice. Let your moderation be known unto all men. The Lord is in hand Be careful for nothing. But in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God, and the peace of God, which passes all understanding, shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Verse 8. Finally, brethren, whatsoever things are true, Whatsoever things are honest, whatsoever things are just, whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things are of good report, if there be any virtue, and if there be any praise, think on these things. Let's read verse 9. Those things which ye have both learned and received and heard and seen in me do. And the God of peace shall be with you <clears throat> the question is to our adult class this morning do you want to graduate now if you want to graduate it takes a certain amount of discipline we're thinking of academic and scholarship just as us who have graduated this year it takes work and study and more work and more study and it takes discipline to stay with it and not to quit the word disciple means a learner But no one learns who does not stay with it long enough. That's why the graduates, at least to some degree, must have discipline to get them to this point. Whether they graduate the top of their class, at the middle, or at the bottom. They graduate, it shows they had some discipline to get there. It must be inward and outward, relating to self and to others, if they're going to be successful and make it. And the person who is disciplined and learned not only the books but also how to relate to himself and to others is a useful and and fruitful addition to society and will help him in his or her life as they go on. Now, all of these principles we talked about, academics, we just mentioned, apply also to the Christian life. Will you graduate? We're talking about spiritually. Now, ultimately, we know we're going to die and graduate. I'm not talking about that graduation. And if you know Christ is Savior, you're going to heaven. But these principles apply to Christian life. Jesus called his followers disciples, disciplined ones, or learners. And so if you know him as Savior, that's what you are. And Jesus even said to his disciples, they have to take up their cross daily and follow him. So it takes discipline inwardly and outwardly to graduate with honors from the Lord's school of disciples. Now, don't be like those disciples in John chapter 6, about verse 66, a very unpleasant verse in the Bible. It says, And many of his disciples forsook him, meaning Jesus, it's not the end of the verse, and followed him no more. Don't be like those guys, those disciples. That's a sad thought. I often thought, how did Jesus feel? I think one reason why they forsook him is because they found out it took some discipline. And not everybody's disciplined. And you know who has to discipline you? You. And so I think that's one of the reasons why they walk no more with him. And guess what? Those disciples did not graduate in this spiritual school. They didn't, they didn't graduate. They dropped out, if you will. One of the re- major reasons for dropout, or maybe they were burnout. I don't know. I just know they didn't follow him. One of the major reasons, they say, for burnout is a lack of discipline. And it, this lack of discipline causes fatigue and frustration, <clears throat> So we need more Christians, especially in this day, with disciplined lives. We need more Christians who will, who are controlled by the power of the Spirit of God and continually stay by this stuff. We read that verse that I've quoted it says, Because iniquity shall abound, the love of many shall wax cold. I think we see that evidence, don't we? In two thousand twenty-one. I think it relates to discipline. There are three areas of discipline mentioned here in this passage that we just read. And as we see Paul's encouragement, I believe, to these Philippian believers, I hope it will be encouragement to us today and think about these matters because remember this is the Bible, and these things are pertinent for us even today. So let me just give you three things, and then we'll talk about them, just a couple minutes each one. We're talking about graduating spiritually spiritually. We must be disciplined with our classmates. We must be be uh, disciplined with our teachers See this school. We must be disciplined with ourselves. So let's think about this for just a few minutes this morning as Paul would help these people. And the question would be, before we look at these, do you want to graduate? I mean, everybody would say, well, of course, I want to be a better Christian. I want to be a stronger Christian. I want to graduate in this spiritual school. <clears throat> Again, the person you looked at in the mirror this morning is a person that is responsible. Don't blame me. I get blamed for enough stuff as it is. That's a pastor's fault. Maybe sometimes it is, but really you're responsible for yourself. And all of you in here are adults or at least 18 or older. You're all adults, so you're responsible for yourself. <clears throat> Let's look at this just for a few minutes. If we want to graduate this spiritual school and we decide that, yes, we want to graduate or advance or go on, we must be disciplined with our classmates. Now, in the Lord's school, other believers are your classmates, or we might even say more personal church members. They're your classmates, if you will. And in verse 1, he said that we need to relate properly with them. <clears throat> now, I've already read this, so I we'll won't read it again. We need to relate properly with them. This is a matter of discipline. We must learn how to and then practice biblical principles of relating to others. Now, notice some of the details that Paul gives here as we are directed by him to these people to us. Number one, he says, they're to love them. Now, some people are more lovable than others. I'm looking at people who know what I'm talking about. But to love them. By the way, love doesn't mean you totally agree with everything. But love them. Pretty simple, isn't it? Yet it's so important. Paul used the term here, dearly beloved. It's a term of endearment. It comes from the Greek word agape, which is God's type of love. God's type of love is self-sacrificing. In another place, Paul said, let each esteem others better than themselves. So when you walk in the door, that should be our attitude. think of others to yourself. Loving them. Paul loved all these saints individually. He knew them. He knew the church. And with a love produced in his heart by the Holy Spirit. Now, Paul was a man like the rest of us. He was a person. Do you think there's some people he was easier to love than others? Of course. So how did Paul do this? How could he call dear and mean it? Because the Holy Spirit of God who lived in Paul and who lives in us and helped him. How do you love other people? Some people oh, I can't stand that guy. I can't. Well, sometimes person... Don't marry him then, by the way. If you can't stand that guy, don't be stupid enough to marry the guy. Or vice versa. How do we love our classmates? Ask God to help you by the Holy Spirit. You ever read that verse? The love of God is shed abroad by the Holy Ghost you ever read that other verse that says, love covers a multitude of sins? you ever read that verse? Well, why wouldn't that apply to this to our classmates, <clears throat> our fellow Christians? You're not going to see eye to eye on everything. But we should love them anyway. <clears throat> then he said we should long for them. He used the words longed for. Those we love, we long for. We long to see them and hear of their, how they're doing, their spiritual health, and how they're getting along, their prosperity. Paul said, I rejoice greatly that I have found of my children walking in the truth in 2 John 4. Then he says, to follow up on them, he said, My joy and crown. When someone gets saved, we ought to encourage them and to disciple them, not just to have a class for six weeks. But at church, you know you could disciple people by talking to them. You don't have to give them a, a sermon or a lesson. You can smile at them, ask them if there's anything they can present to you to help them pray. You could pray about for them, you can check with them later how that prayer is doing. Disciple them, help them by living the Christian life so they see that. Remember, when Paul said, follow me not the end of the verse. That sounds kind of braggadocious, doesn't it? Follow me. But he made it very clear, it's spiritual. He said, as I follow the Lord. So you and I should all be following the Lord before his disciples, and other people should be able to see that. Without you waving the Bible as big as a Syrian robot catalog, they'll be able to see that you're different, because Christ, and so you, you disciple people help them that way. Now, that word Paul used, crown, refers to the To the victor's garland or wreath placed on the head of the victor in athletic games. It was also given for military valor as well in these days. It was used on very festive occasions as an expression of gladness. So Paul said, You people are my joy crown. Them and their spiritual life that he led to the Lord, influenced them, encouraged them. He said, You're my joy. You're my crown was these people, these Philippian believers who had won to the Lord. And you and I can have that same experience. We're supposed to be telling people the gospel, telling them about Christ. That's what Paul did and Paul preached. Now, you may not be preaching, but you still should be telling people about the Lord. And when they trust him, then you can encourage them, uh, follow up on them and help them grow spiritually. Just don't let them flounder. That's where the devil really starts to work when people first get saved. Then he also said, encourage them by using these two words. Stand fast. Being in Christ must be even and steady in their walk with him and and close and constant unto the end. That's why many people don't make it, do they? They just whatever, they quit. For whatever reason. <clears throat> now, understand you have to you might have to adjust our ministry, all of us, as we go along in life, but we don't quit until we're dead or Jesus comes those people don't graduate. Those disciples in John 6 didn't graduate. And by the way, one of Jesus' only 12 apostles, one of them didn't graduate either because he was a devil. To stand fast in the Lord is to stand fast in his strength. If you and I try to live the Christian life in your own strength, you're going to be tired on Monday. You can't in simple terms. You, I'm including myself, you Cannot do it. Five words. Don't fool yourself and think you can because you can't, no matter who you are. So it's in his strength. Remember when Jesus said in John 15, verse 5? The last part of the verse, this is what he said. This is Jesus talking. Without me, you can do nothing. No, it's true, it's not. Now I realize he didn't say those words to me. But it's in his word. So he might as well say them to me and to you. So without him, you can do nothing. And yet Paul said with him, I can do everything. Kind of interesting, isn't it? It means trusting in his strength and by his grace, not trusting in ourselves. We must be strong in the Lord. Paul said to the Ephesians in chapter 6 and verse 10, be strong in the Lord and the power of his word. You know one reason why Christians aren't like they should be? They're not reading this book. They read everything but this book. I try to read the book and forget everything else. I mean, that's not wrong to read the newspaper or read magazines. I don't mean to say that. But sometimes people, you know, they can't get up in the morning, get going until they see the paper and have their coffee. And some people their their cigarettes. <laughs> it's like, what a way to live. <clears throat> anyway, it's in his might. Paul encouraged them. He lifted them up. You know, we're supposed to be encouraging, and one of the ways we we follow up on people encourage them is by saying encouraging things. Keep the negative things to yourself. Are there any negative things to say? Probably, if there isn't, you could probably think of a couple. Some people are good at making them up, and the devil's good at making things worse than what they are, isn't he? He makes things so much bigger and worse than what they are sometimes. I'm not saying they're not real, but he He gives you a magnifying glass. you got this problem. He says, see this? And you go, oh, wow. And we're stupid enough to take it and look. Paul didn't tear these people down. Now, are there things Paul could have said to them to kind of put them in their place? Of course. He lifted them up. Now, I don't think he meant lie. No, but he meant to encourage them and to lift them up. So speak encouraging things. Everybody likes to be around somebody that's encouraging. And unless I'm wrong, nobody likes to be around somebody who's discouraging and bitter and critical. Nobody likes to be around somebody like that. They're just not fun. Or not nice, so encourage them. Do do, do what my mom used to say. If you don't have anything nice to say, don't say nothing at all. I don't know if she got that. There's no version of the Bible on that. But that was good advice. So just keep your mouth shut or say something positive. He built these people up in the Lord. By the way, that's our duty. It doesn't matter how old you are, chronologically or spiritually. We all need encouragement. We all need to be lifted up one way or another, and sometimes more so than other times. So our fellow classmates, when you come to church, you know, one of your things to do is encourage somebody. It could be some as simple as saying, well, I'm praying that God will help you in your problem and be gone. Or something positive. Say, you know, whatever. We know how to say negative things. Nobody has to teach us, do they? Aren't we good at that? We have to work and force positive things, don't we? We've got to consciously think, I gotta say something nice. <clears throat> then also. We need to cooperate with them. In verse 2, we've already read. Now, look at this. These two people individually named, I wish it was Joe and Bill or Mary and Sue, but it's not. It's Yodius and Syntec. Maybe that was a common name back then. Yeah. <clears throat> but as Paul did address these two, let's think about this for just a minute. We're talking about graduating spiritually and with our classmates or fellow Christians or church members cooperate with them. These two people, and some people thought they were women. I don't know. It's not clear. But they did not live up to the meaning of their names. Yodius means a prosperous journey, and Syntech means a pleasant acquaintance. And Paul here, we already read this, pleaded with these two to agree with each other in the Lord. Not where to go to lunch. Not the color of your house. Not the kind of car you drive but to agree with each other in the Lord. <clears throat> it seems, from reading this, that they were causing dissension in the church. These two people, men or women, whatever. This helps explain Paul's earlier plea for unity. Back, if you turn over just one page in chapter 2, listen to what he said at the first, close to the first part of this book. Philippians 2, 1. If there be any consolation in Christ, if any comfort of love, if any fellowship of the Spirit, if any bowels and mercies, fulfill ye my joy, Paul talking, that ye be like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord, of one mind. Verse 3. Let nothing be done through strife or vain glory, but in lowliness of mind, Here's the verse I quoted. This is the last part of the verse I quoted. Let each esteem, or think of others, think, esteem other better than themselves. Look not on every man in his own things, but every man also on the things of others. We're talking about cooperation. Cooperation takes discipline, doesn't it? But pride keeps us from unifying. And then to the verse 3, we've already read that. Paul encouraged these Christians in this church in Philippi to work with their fellow classmates their fellow <clears throat> church members if you will the fellow christians whose person was whom he calls true yoke fellow is uncertain some people think it was epaphroditus because they thought that epaphroditus was one of the pastors of this church at philippi at some time i don't know if it was him or not others think it was some ex- some eminently good woman in the church because he exhorts his yoke fellow to help the women who labored with him. So whoever this yoke fellow with the apostle must be a yoke fellow too with his friends. In other words, to help Paul, they should help them. They should help the church. And also, these women who labored with Paul in the gospel, by entertaining the ministers, they visit the sick, instructing, convincing people. Thus, women may be certainly helpful to the Lord's work and to the minister, to the pastor, to the fellow Christians. No question about it. <clears throat> they can do things that men cannot do in this spiritual work. Those who help others should be helped themselves when it's necessary, and there may be an occasion. Even the person who may be an encourager, once in a while, he may need a little encouragement. Or she made a little encouragement, even though they may be positive. And we all know people like that. They're just, seem like they're always bubbly. Everything's great and wonderful. Once in a while, they have a bad day too. So they need a little encouragement. So that's what Paul was saying here. These women who help, they labor, they serve the Lord, the church. They're encouragers, they're positive. They need a little help, they need a little encouragement themselves. We're talking about graduating. From the spiritual the spiritual school. <clears throat> he said of course working with them, working with others. <clears throat> and the goal, of course, was for them and for us is to get the gospel out. I think sometimes we forget that. Many churches think church is a social gathering. No, we are social. We do gather, we do talk. And at the Baptist church we certainly eat. And that's social, isn't it? It's social. But that's not the main thing of the church. I pity all these churches who really aren't. They don't even know what they're, what they're doing. We need to get the gospel out. Out the doors of the church. Out to the world through our missionaries, through prayers, etc. So these people in the Philippi, remember the gospel wasn't as prominent or as known as it is today. We've had about 2,000 years of it. <clears throat> so their goal is to get the gospel out to their generation And that's what our goal would be. And then one of these days when we all die, we'll be like the Bible says of David. It says David served his generation well. And he went on sleeping. That's a nice way of saying he died. So we have to serve the generation of which we are part of. And I'm looking at all all of you and me. We're part of this generation. So we have to serve this generation well. And the main thing would be the gospel. Then he went on to say something else in verse 5 we've already read. We're talking about cooperating with your fellow believers. Have patience with them. Have patience with them. The word moderation means gentleness or forbearance. Avoid bigotry and animosity. Judge charitably among one another. I would say this. Give somebody a little slack. Give them a bit of the doubt, a little bit. And if they prove themselves to not be trustworthy, then that would be on them, right? But cut a little slack. Those are not in the Bible. Those are my words. Cut them a little slack. Give them a little room. The word also signifies a good disposition towards other people. people. Some people say, well, I'm not a people person. Well, ask God to help you be one. No, you may not be as gregarious as the next guy. And some people, and do you know that most people, a high percentage of people are generally shy. I don't mean shy at this guy. But generally speaking, they're shy. And so you'd have to ask God, and that's the work of the Holy Spirit to help you. To talk to people. Now we talk about everything else, don't we? Even people I don't know talk to me. You know, about all kinds of things. It's funny how we talk about all kinds of things except sub spiritual things. Now, I don't mean you go up and start preaching at people, but open our mouth and tell them the gospel. But at all, our fellow believers have patience. <clears throat> all this takes discipline, and we all would agree the Lord's return is so soon. We don't have time to waste with fighting and criticizing others in church. And I think the Holy Spirit's pretty good about that too, isn't it? He? he can take care of that. You say, Oh, I'm going to straighten this guy out. <clears throat> now, occasionally that's my job. I understand that. But the Holy Spirit can straighten people out. And sometimes I say, Lord, I can't straighten this guy out. Would you straighten him out? And by the way, if I can't straighten him out, <clears throat> God can't straighten him out. We're in trouble. But patience, <clears throat> patience is a, is a virtue. And that is a virtue of the Bible. It's one of the things we should do. Have patience with fellow believers. Nowhere in this did Paul say, you know what? Dealing with other believers is easy. Do you think Paul thought it was easy? Well, when you preach to people like Paul did, sometimes it's not easy. I don't mean the preaching part. I mean the repercussions. And our people have been so good about that, you know, if people say, "Well, preacher, you spoke to me today. Were you watching me this week? Were you what?" Well, common sense. I wasn't watching you. I don't know. That's the Holy Spirit of God speaking to your heart. Man is just the the human mouthpiece. <clears throat> so let's hurry along here. We need to uh, work with our fellow classmates, our fellow Christians, fellow believers. Then we also need to be disciplined with your teacher. If you want to graduate, you certainly need to get along with your teacher. Now, our master teacher is the Lord Jesus Christ. We must be disciplined with him, just like these disciples and apostles were. Talk about a master teacher. You study Jesus' ministry from a point of view of teaching. He was a master teacher. And he drew illustrations, much better than I. And he drew illustrations from real-life stuff. Like, you know, when he said the fig tree. I've often thought, I've never seen a fig tree. Maybe you have. I believe in fig newtons, but I've never seen the tree where they come from. So, I mean, so many times his illustrations were timely for the people he was talking to. So he's the master teacher. How do we be disciplined with our teacher, the Lord Jesus Christ? Well, Paul said in verse 4, we've already read, to rejoice in the Lord. Now some people rejoice when the Indians win when they win. I'm happy about it. But rejoicing in the Lord is a couple steps above that. And it's rejoicing in Him. You can't rejoice in yourself per se. You can't rejoice in what's going on in the world. Greater is He that's in you than He's in the world. That's a good verse, but that's rejoicing. That's putting back rejoicing in Him. He is in me, so I'm rejoicing in Him. Rejoice in the Lord. All our joy must terminate in and from God. It's our duty and privilege to rejoice in God and to rejoice in Him always, all times. Now, I'm looking at people who are intelligent, who are honest, and I'm talking for all of us. We do not always rejoice in all things. Now, that's the goal. That's what we should do if we want to graduate. The opposite of rejoicing in him and rejoicing in all things is not rejoicing in him. And you find somebody who doesn't, they become a negative person. They're not fun to be around either. So rejoice in the Lord. Again, it's him. You see, God doesn't change. Jesus, Hebrews 13, 8, Jesus Christ, the same yesterday, today, and forever. In the promise to Abraham and Sarah having a child, he said, I am the Lord, I change not. Everything else might change. We change physically, don't we? He said, but he doesn't, so our joy should be in him. He's constant. It's a privilege to rejoice in God. Now, I don't know about you, but probably this week, if you go around about your business, I'm sure you've heard people talk. I have. I didn't hear too many people rejoice in the Lord. I've heard a few people use his name wrongly, haven't you? They're not rejoicing in him. It's funny how they don't believe in him, but they'll use his name. We need to rejoice in him always at all times, in all conditions, even when we suffer for him. Remember when the disciples were brought before the city council? And they said, basically, you guys can't talk anymore about Jesus, and we're going to beat you. And they went out of there saying they rejoice; they were to be identified with Christ. We must not think of the worst of him or his ways for the hardships we meet with in his service. See, if we're not gonna graduate, if we say, Well, God, why did you let this happen to me? Why didn't let have why didn't you let it happen to somebody else in the church? When you get an answer to that get back to my people because I got a few questions myself. We all do. But you you can here's your choice. You can get Bitter, or he can get better. And you know who decides that? Not the preacher. Don't blame it on me. You decided. I don't mean to be poignant, but I am. You decide if you're going to get better or bitter. We're talking about rejoicing in the Lord. Now that doesn't mean, oh, you rejoice, God, thank you for all my problems. I had It's such a, it's a rejoice in Him because the problems will change. Things will get better and different. But He doesn't. Rejoice in Him. There is nothing, God, to furnish us with joy in the worst circumstances on earth. I think of the Apostle Paul in jail. I've never been in jail as a customer. I've been to jail, but to visit people. And I'm so glad when I get out. Even at midnight in jail, he's praising God, isn't he? How did that? That's the guy that's writing this book. So he not just preaching a bunch of junk. He doesn't know nothing about He knows exactly what he's talking about. I'm not sure I'd be so good in prison or jail, but who knows? That's a pretty extreme case. Then also, in the first part of verse 6, he said that if we want to be disciplined with our teacher, we need to trust in the Lord. I'm sure you read that verse in Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Trust in the Lord with all thine heart, and lean not unto thine own understanding, in all thy ways, acknowledge him, and he will direct your paths. Trust in the Lord. Rejoicing in the Lord and trusting the Lord, two different things. It's the duty and interest of Christians to live without care. Remember First Peter 5, 7? Casting all your care upon him, for he careth for you. There is a care of diligence, which is our duty, <clears throat> But there is a care, uh, care of distrust which becomes sin to us and which only perplexes and distracts the mind if you worry you're unfit for service. And you won't graduate from this school. Then he said in the last part of verse 6, we've already to read, to talk to the Lord. Paul exhorted the Philippians to prayer instead of anxiety. Praying with thanksgiving involves trusting God. Four words are used here to describe a believer's communion with God. Prayer, which describes a believer's approach to God. Supplication or petition emphasizes requesting an answer to a specific need. Thanksgiving is an attitude of heart which should always accompany one's prayers. You know, God's not obligated to listen to you, pray. Do you ever think about how, how it must be for God to listen to all of us? Even just the people in this room, and I say that kindly and respectfully as your pastor. But can you imagine God listens to all of us? He did not have to listen to us, but he does. And can you imagine all the griping and complaining we do to God? Say, I don't do that. Now you're lying in church. Request speak of definite and specific and specific things ask for. Does that sound like, like your prayers? Then he said in verse seven, to rest in the Lord. Remember when we do that, the result, Paul said here, is peace. You know most of the people that walk the streets in this city, in our county, they don't have peace not really, and boy, you work with some, know some, maybe some of your neighbors, some of your friends. they don't have real peace because it comes from within, it, it's the peace of God. He, it's from him. That's why we rejoice in him again. He's the one that gives it. And Jesus even said in John, peace I give unto you, not as the world giveth. Give unto you so <clears throat> The peace of God will flood your troubled soul when we rest in him. Don't rest in Washington. Don't rest in Columbus. Don't rest in City Hall. Rest in him. Now, I know it's easier said that again. Paul didn't say, you know what, this is a snap, nothing to it. You have to consciously think you have to be disciplined. You're a student. We have to disciple ourselves and discipline ourselves to do these things every child of God can have peace with God through justification by faith, by trusting him as personal savior, you have peace with God, but the peace of God relates to the inner tranquility of our walk with him. This peace of God transcends all understanding. You can't, you can't explain it, but you know it's good. It's beyond man's ability to comprehend, but you still enjoy it even until you don't figure it, even if you don't figure it out. You understand the practical benefits of it. And Paul said, when we rejoice in him and rest in him. We have his peace. Keeping our guard translates a military term, which means to protect or garrison by guarding, like soldiers assigned to watch over a certain area. God's peace guards the hearts and minds of his people. That is the emotions and thoughts of God's children. Then, uh, thirdly, Paul would say to these Christian people and to you and I today, be disciplined with yourself. We read already in verse 8. Again, you control you. We live in the world, and I'm sure you're getting tired of it. If you're not, I am. I'm getting tired of people blaming everybody else. Oh, it's my mother, it's my father, it's my upbringing, it's the street I lived on, it's the car we drove, it's the house we lived in, and it's always somebody else's fault. Well, I certainly don't mean to minimize people's problems in times past. Hey, yeah, I had a few of myself. But today, to say, that's my dad's fault. In plain, I don't know if it's English or not, but in plain words, that's a bunch of hooey. Whatever hooey is, I hope it's not a bad word. <laughs> What's well, hooey? Oh, well, that's my mom's fault. Wait a minute. I'm not eight years old at home anymore. I'm a couple years older than that. And you're, and I'd say this kind of, you're, you're not either. So quit blaming <clears throat> quit blaming them and look in the mirror and say, I got disciplined myself. You discipline yourself to get up and come to church today. And some of you struggled with that physically. May God bless you. And you may be sitting there, and I know some of you are maybe you don't feel the best for some other for several reasons. But you discipline yourself to be here. You discipline yourself to read his word. It's not always fun reading the Bible. Even sometimes myself, I say, okay, now Mark, do you ever talk to yourself? Make sure nobody's around. Think you're a lunatic. Okay, now I read it, and after I read about three verses, all of a sudden, it's, it's good. Are you with me? But you have to initially, dis- you have to discipline yourself. Read it! You have to discipline yourself to go over that prayer list. And say, oh, no, Lord, I've got three prayer lists. Now, they're not huge. I oh, Lord," But as soon as I start, things get better. But I got to make myself do it, and on and on we could go, and through all the the Christian what is called Christian disciplines. <clears throat> so be disciplined with yourself. Paul says, finally, there in verse eight, indicate he was about to conclude this section. There are six items mentioned as objects of a wholesome thought life. Each one is introduced with whatsoever. <clears throat> We've read those. Then in verse nine, he exhorts them to put these things into practice. Or we might say where the rubber meets the road. You know, it's easy to nod our head on Sunday, and I thank you for that, and say amen, and be happy, and all that. But Monday's coming. Are we going to put these things into practice tomorrow? And I'm including myself, all of us. Put them into practice, or do them. They do no good about reading them in the Bible. And this was a letter Paul wrote to these people in this church. It did no good to them to hear the letter, read the letter, See the letter? Maybe they post it on the bulletin board. I'm not sure they had one. They have to do it. And so, <clears throat> you do that by, as he said in verse 8, which you've already read, by thinking right. I think you would agree with me, I believe. Our world is not thinking right. Our nation's not thinking right. It's, that's, I know that's very simplistic. But it's true. So guess what? You and I, if we're gonna be a disciple, if we're gonna be disciplined one, if we're gonna graduate from the spiritual school, we're gonna to have to think right. Guess what? You can't do it on your own. Neither can I. And we're not talking about whether you you know, about insignificant little things. We're talking about important things. We think right. One one way by reading his Word. Listen, this will affect you in more ways than one. It may cause you to think right. And when you have a question, you'll have a verse come to your mind. I can't believe the verses have come to my mind. I said, where did I get that? And I think I got it in Sunday school as a kid. That was a couple years ago. It helps me think right today. Remember the psalmist said, thy word have I hid in my heart? He went on to say that I might not sin against God, but it helps us to think Right. True things are, of course, the opposite of dishonest and unreliable things. Honest refers to what is dignified and worthy of respect. <clears throat> Just refers to the conformity to God's standards. <clears throat> Pure refers to what is wholesome, uh, mixed with moral impurity. Well, we are flooded with that, aren't we? Lovely speaks of what promotes peace rather than conflict. Good report relates to what is positive and constructive rather than negative and destructive. These six objects of thought are then described as virtuous or excellent, praiseworthy. We're talking about graduating from the spiritual school. Then he said in the last part of verse 9, which we did read also, to do right. The Christian life involves proper thinking, but also involves Doing righteous deeds. Since the Philippians knew Paul very well on a personal level, he could ask them to follow his example. As they put these things into practice, they would enjoy the presence of God and his peace. To be fruit bearing Christians, we must have a disciplined life. Christ must be at the center of every believer's life. At the center. Not important, not very important. The center. And I'm afraid in many cases he's not. We're busy with so many things. Really? Do you think Christ was the center of Paul's life? I think he was. And his actions showed it. That takes discipline. Paul made this plain as he wrote to these saints. He saved people at Philippi. The question again, do you want to graduate? Well, I think we all would. I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand. But I think we all would say, well, sure, I want to graduate, I want to advance, I want to go ahead, I want to go forward, I want to do better, be better. We all, we all have that goal. Certainly, we should. Then we've got to stay with it and not quit, like the guys in John 666. Isn't that funny, 666? In order to graduate, you have to enroll. Remember a long time ago when you went to kindergarten? I did. Actually, we had kindergarten in a Lutheran church, if you can believe it believe it. It Public school, kindergarten in a Lutheran church. Wonder if that would happen today. Anyway, you have to enroll in school in order to graduate, and you go through the classes and you finally graduate. We have to enroll in this school, this spiritual school also by receiving Christ as personal savior. That's the beginning place. That's how you enroll. You have to trust him as personal savior, then you're in the school, and then I don't know if it's good news or bad news. In 12 years, you're not done. It's ongoing until the Lord calls you, or he comes. You're always in this school, so there's no, like, I have attained. Even Paul said later on, he uses the word apprehended. He said, I'm not apprehended. That means he hasn't attained. In other words, Paul himself said, I'm not, I don't have any more growth to do. I don't have any more Christian life to work on. He knew that. Well, if Paul is that way, surely we are. And so it's ongoing. Let's stand, please, with our heads bowed nice eyes closed for just a moment. Father, speak to all of our hearts this morning. <clears throat> as as Paul would help these people in this church, I pray his words today would help the people in this church, those who are in our adult class, bless each one, bless their bless their family. Lord, meet the needs they may have even today, that maybe they didn't out a card for, something they're praying about. Help them continue to pray, bless, and meet their need. Lord, help us all to concentrate and focus on graduating spiritually. We'd walk with you in a better way and consistent way. Bless those who may be even struggling today with difficulties and problems. In this school, help us to be an encouragement to others. Give us the wisdom and the words. Speak to every heart we pray in Jesus' name. With our heads bowed and our eyes closed for just a moment, just a verse of invitation. Maybe God spoke to your heart right there in your seat. Maybe you could just pray about something maybe that you've been thinking about or maybe God spoke to your heart about something during this little, these thoughts this morning. Maybe you need to trust Christ as your personal Lord and your personal Savior while we wait just a moment. your soul this morning. Rejoice in Him while we wait just a moment. All right, we'll bring our class to conclusion.